Matthew chapter 26. This is God's word. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant and said, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Amen. And we thank God uh, tonight for his word. The history of our church tells us about a man who went by the name of Polycarp. He climbed the ladder in the church. He became the Bishop of Smyrna. Uh, At that time, the church was under the boot of Rome, and at that time, anybody who loved the Lord Jesus Christ too much found themselves with Rome's boot on their throat. Polycarp was no exception. He was a man who was passionate about the gospel, a man who would not bend the knee to Caesar, and a man who, for his trouble, was going to be burnt to death. Those who had captured him told him simply that if if he gave up, He just had to say that Caesar was king. He just had to heal Caesar. He just had to do something that showed that he loved Caesar. If only he would do that, then he would not burn. And Polycarp amazingly replied, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. That day, Polycarp was burned for his faith. And that day, because the flames weren't doing their job quick enough or more powerfully, they stabbed him to death. I don't tell you that story, folks, tonight, so you'll lose sleep when you climb into your wee Teletubbies duvet tonight. I I tell you it because it is a true story of a brother in Christ, and I could tell you thousands of other stories throughout the history of the church and right up to this present day. There are men and women who proclaim Christ tonight who could face a death like Polycarp's death, all for the sake of that name that is above all names, 
the precious Lord Jesus Christ. For Polycarp, it wasn't even a question. It wasn't a debate. Eighty and six years, he says, I have served Jesus. From, from the cradle, Polycarp says, I have served Christ. From the cradle to being an old man at age 86, I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme him? How can I sell him out? How can I heal Caesar? How can I bend the knee to a man that thinks he's a god but is no god? How can I do it? You see, Polycarp had come to realize what I think hopefully every one of us knows and realizes is true, that there is nothing and no one that compares to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know we live in days where we all get ourselves worked up over who's up lampposts and who is at number 10 and that old saying, Brexit means Brexit. But I have something to tell you. I've looked through the Bible and nowhere does it mention Brexit means Brexit. Not even in the famous book of Hezekiah where all those things you think the Bible says are in that book. And if you're going to go home and read it, I'm only joking. It doesn't exist. Tonight, folks, Brexit means nothing compared to Jesus. Tonight, all the money in your bank account compares nothing to Jesus. Tonight, the loyalty that we might have to institutions in this town or beyond mean nothing and compare nothing to Jesus. And Polycarp realized it, and you and I have realized it, and I pray indeed that this would be a week where that faith would only strengthen in days of opposition and days of darkness. I come and pray tonight that you and me will realize that nothing compares to him. And it was the Apostle Paul who, before Polycarp, made that absolutely clear. He says, I have counted everything as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And to that, every one of us says, Amen, don't we? Count it all as rubbish. Every part of it is rubbish. Until we go home tonight to discover that our dog has left us a wee parcel on our brand new rug from Ikea in the living room. And then we go to war, don't we? Then we're not happy because nothing compares, but that's a very special new rug. I had the privilege of growing up in a home where, where for a couple of months, when we got anything new, you weren't allowed to use it. My mother was a lady. If she got a new sofa, she left the plastic on. You know, and you'd come downstairs on a Saturday morning not wearing very much and you'd stick to it because you were lying watching the cartoons. And it took you to Sunday afternoon to, to get yourself off it. And if you asked her why she did it, she'd say, well, that, that sofa's not for sitting on. It's not, you know, a carpet's not for walking on. And we're often like that, aren't we? Those wee things in our lives, whether they're small like a new sofa or whether they're a wee bit bigger like family, friends, reputation, all the rest of it, Nothing compares to Jesus, but sometimes, actually, in our hearts, we know the truth, don't we? Not for Polycarp. Not for many like him. For Polycarp, he would rather go to the flames than deny his Christ. But in the story that we read tonight from Matthew's Gospel, it wasn't the case for everybody. We meet a, a lady in this story who comes and and breaks open this alabaster jar, does this extraordinary, significant, wonderful thing. She, she breaks it open, a very expensive ointment, and she pours it on the Lord Jesus' head as he reclined at the table. And the temptation when we read this passage is to be on the side of the disciples, or, or to be on the, the side of the Lord and, and to look at the disciples and say, you know, what fools, did they not know what they're doing? And yet, folks, I suspect that if every one of us was there, we would all jump on the bandwagon and we would all say, why this waste? 
For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. A statement that God makes us look exceptionally holy, doesn't it? It makes us look like we've got fingers on the pulse. It makes us look like we are the best thing since sliced bread, but they were utterly wrong. You see, this lady had discovered what Polycarp would discover years later, that nothing compared to Jesus. And so she brings this very expensive ointment. She pours it over his head, and the Lord explains it to them. He makes it clear she has done this for my burial. I am going to my death. And Jesus has already told them that in the opening verses of Matthew 26. He says what is to come. He is going to be betrayed. He is going to be crucified. He is going to die. And he says to his disciples, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Jesus was getting ready to depart. And his disciples were jumping on the bandwagon and they'd they'd missed the point that absolutely nothing compares to Jesus. A very expensive jar of ointment? Surely that's a waste, is it? Not when it is rolling down the head of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not. John tells us another wee slant on that story in John 12. Because whilst I suspect that most of the disciples were wrong on this, but not seeking to betray the Lord. There was one of them who was wrong and seeking to betray Jesus. We know his name. It's familiar. We know the story, don't we? Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, the traitor. John 12 tells us that Judas was exceptionally cross about this act of extravagance. John tells us that Judas is the one who says, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. See, even in the company that day of the disciples, even as they'd got this incident wrong, there was still someone who had got it utterly wrong and was reflecting not on the the glory of Christ but on how much he was going to be able to get out of the money bag if this ointment had been sold for 300 denarii. See, Judas had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and he had heard Jesus Jesus preaching and he had lived with Jesus and he had, at a point, I have no doubt, followed Jesus with all of his heart but at some point, at some point, Judas came to realize wrongly that money was worth more than Christ. At some point, carrying around the money bag, he came to realize wrongly that feathering his own nest was of more importance than following Jesus even on the death. At some point, Judas had made the decision in his heart and in his soul that Jesus wasn't worth it. That it was much more valuable to Judas to stick his hand into the money bag, to sell ointment for 300 denarii, to take what he could while he could get it. Judas wasn't going to burn for this Jesus. Judas wasn't going to deny Caesar for this Jesus. Judas was going to betray him. And after this extravagant act of love from this woman who, who pours out this ointment upon the Lord, Judas makes his move. He's seen enough. Money has been wasted here. Ointment has been wasted. Judas, perhaps filled with anger, decides, do you know what? That's it. Verse 14 tells us that he he goes to the chief priests. And there's no grand statement like the one we're still quoting about Polycarp. 
And Jesus tells us, even about this woman who comes with the expensive ointment, everywhere where the gospel is proclaimed, they'll say this story, they'll tell this story about her in memory of her. And tonight, what do we say about Judas? What grand speech does he make? What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? No words are graces. Jesus is not the saviour of the world in Judas' eyes. He's not worth following. He's not worth dying for. He's, he's, he's a waster. He's someone who's going to throw away 300 denarii. What's the point in this, Jesus? And so with ignorance and arrogance and pride and sin, he goes and says to the chief priests, what's he worth? What will you give me? If I play my part in this, if I get him delivered over to you, what's he worth? And they say to Judas, 30 pieces of silver. And if there was any debate on it, we're not told. If there was any discussion, we're not told. But it certainly seems from the biblical account that Judas takes it and is happy with it. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray Christ. Horrendous, isn't it? Here is this man who, who saw with his own two eyes some amazing things that Jesus said and did. He was there in the, the greatest days of history, the days that you and I would have loved to have been there, loved to have seen. He was there. He saw it. He heard it. At a time Judas was out and he was preaching and teaching. He was pointing people to Jesus. But whilst he was with Jesus, he was never truly with Jesus. Jesus was a commodity. Jesus was someone who, for Judas, was a pathway to better things. As long as I'm with him, as long as I'm carrying the bag, well, things will be all right. But when the novelty begins to wear off, with contempt, Judas asks, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Friends, tonight as we read this passage, as these familiar words once again drop into our wee ears, I want you to marvel at them. I want you to, to see the contempt that Judas has for Jesus. I want you to consider the humiliation that, that lies ahead for our Savior. And the worst, of course, is yet to come. He goes to a, a false trial. There are lies furled at him. There, there are stories that are told that don't agree. The witnesses don't get their story right. It's all there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the fury in your own heart that would be there if you were told lies about in that way and yet the Lord speaks not. He goes silently like a lamb before the shearers. And then he goes before Pontius Pilate, this low-level Roman official, and again more lies and more insults and, and Pilate doesn't find any evidence to convict him. And Pilate knows that this man has done no wrong and yet instead, still somehow Jesus is punished. Jesus is given over to the Jews. Soon Jesus is carrying a cross. Soon it, it comes off his shoulder and Simon of Cyrene carries it for him. Soon Jesus is at that wicked hill called Calvary. Soon the nails are in his body. Soon he is, he is mocked and scorned by thieves on either side. Soon the crowds gather. Soon they hurl insults. Soon they, they mock and laugh at him as if he is worth nothing. As if he is not worth even looking upon or, or gazing upon or spending one moment of your time upon. And soon his life would end. And soon he had been placed in a tomb. And soon maybe Judas and others thought, well, 
that's that, isn't it? Because after all, money is of worth more value than Christ. After all, political power is worth more than Christ. Keeping your authority amongst the people is worth more than Christ. That's what the chief priest said in verse 5. Don't do it during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. They were cards. They didn't even have the courage to do it in the midst of the crowd. And keeping their hand upon the heads of these people was worth more than Christ. And yet, my brothers and sisters, tonight, it is not arrogant of us to say that we know better. It is not out of pride that we can say we know better. It is out of experience. It is out of love. It is out of how the Lord has drawn near to us and brought us from darkness into his marvelous light. It is not through any of those things that I have described, but it is through walking with Jesus through the darkest days of our life. It is, it is being with Christ in those glorious moments of joy. It is standing on the beach in the north coast on a beautiful summer's night and rejoicing at his creation that was made through him and for him. It's those Sundays that we're in our churches and we hear the word going forward and we meet with Christ in a powerful way and he, he speaks gently to us or he speaks harshly to us. He encourages, he challenges, he rebukes, but we leave knowing we have met with Jesus. And in all those wonderful moments in our lives and every time we open this book and read his word, we hear him as he speaks aloud to us. We have met with Jesus. And we know, as Paul says, and as Polycarp agrees, we know that nothing compares to him. We know that he is still absolutely the way and the truth and the life. He is worth standing for. He is worth dying for. He is worth proclaiming. He is worth rejoicing in. My brothers and sisters, there is no one like Jesus. Not one. A new thing like Jesus, nothing in your home, nothing in your wish list on Amazon, nothing comes close. And tonight if we have somehow fallen into a place where we have begun to believe, actually, do you know what? There's nothing more important in my marriage, nothing more important in my pension, nothing more important in my family than, than we to have fallen into that trap where we think, oh, Jesus is good, but he's not great. Jesus is is excellent, but he's, he's not the most excellent. My brothers and sisters, if we are in that place, then this week may we meet him again. And may we realize again what Judas quickly forgot because of the heaviness of the money bag around his waist that, that nothing compares to Christ. You see, Judas, for him it was a lost cause. Jesus said that it was better for the one who betrayed him to, to never be born. And friends, when we read those familiar words about the betrayer, about Judas Iscariot, we should not come with arrogance. It shouldn't cause us to rejoice and to point at Judas and say, what a fool. How did he not get it? Because friends, the sad reality is that we live in a town that is full of individuals like Judas. And, and we say, really, Scott? People who betrayed him took him to, to the chief priest, handed him over for 30 pieces of silver. Well, well, they didn't play that part in redemptive history, but they are men and women who this very night reject Christ. 
men and women in our churches who reject Christ. And Sunday by Sunday, we will worship with people who maybe have waters of baptism on their face or maybe sit at the Lord's table, but they do not have Jesus. And they believe that doing the stuff in a church will get them across that finishing line. That following all the paths that the church lays out will, will get them to that wonderful place. Northern Ireland is full of it. But my brothers and sisters, you and me tonight know, don't we? That Protestantism has never saved a single soul. That Roman Catholicism does not get the job done. That blindly following false religions up and down this land is not going to cut it. The Lord does not want a good living people. He wants a people who have come to know Christ as their Savior and who would rather burn than bend the knee to Caesar or any of the other idols in this world. My friends, tonight I want to encourage you. You might think, well, Scott, would you get to it? Because I'm not feeling it at the minute. I do want to encourage you. Because here is the reality about this. When we realize who this Jesus is, and when we preach this wonderful good news, without fear or favor in this land. When we go home tonight and we maybe say, my love, here is something that I want you to hear and I haven't told you, but my sweetheart, my, my wife of many years, my husband of many years, I want you to hear this. And being m tomorrow when we are standing there wondering, should we buy that lump that's shaped like a unicorn's head or not? Or when we're having that big debate, maybe that's the time we need to stop and look around and look up and say, my friend, let me tell you about my Savior. When we're walking the beaches of Port Rush and Port Stewart next week, we will remember the golden rule. If you see Scott, don't talk to Scott, but the other golden rule, if you meet people, why not speak of Jesus? Why not tell them how wonderful he is? Because Judas had seen with his own eyes. And yet later Jesus tells, doubting Thomas, Thomas, you have believed because you have seen, but blessed are those who have believed but have not seen. My brothers and sisters, we live in those days of not seeing, but we walk by faith and not by sight. We have received Christ through saving faith in him. We have turned away from our sins. We have been redeemed. Redeemed by this Jesus. Friends, there's nothing greater than that. I need to keep that in mind when I'm getting all worked up about stuff that doesn't really matter. When I spend my days endlessly debating football or, or whatever it might be. Or when I'm checking uh, websites to discover what's the latest in the, the Brexit crisis. When the posters are going up in the lamppost and I'm wondering who to vote for. When we're having our inter-church meetings and we're debating about the color of carpet or who gets to drive the minibus. None of it comes close to Jesus. Not one bit, not one inch comes close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if only Judas realized that. If only Judas would realize that soon those 30 pieces of silver were going to be scattered everywhere. He throws them away. He, he is overcome with guilt. But he is not overcome with repentance. The silver scatters. And soon Judas takes his own life. 
But tonight we look back and we read this tale and we marvel at the faith of a woman who pours out ointment. And we marvel at the lack of repentance of a man who saw Jesus. Friends, tonight if you have seen him and know him, then rejoice in him. And tonight if you have not yet come to believe feel alright because you're part of the gang tonight aren't you? We've had our tea and coffee and we'll meet on Sunday morning we'll have sausages and it'll be wonderful even though we'll have to get up early folks you can do all that without Christ but I pray tonight you will soon have Christ because nothing comes close to him and may we know days and found hints where, where this town hears of him from our lips and from our churches that they talk about us not because of what we've done wrong and we do a lot of that but because we proclaim this Jesus because they've walked into our buildings and they think you know what these these people love Christ in a wonderful way these people are convinced that, that Christ saves sinners that that Christ even saves sinners like me. These people love Jesus more than anything in this world. My brothers and sisters, wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the testimony that individuals had of us? Judas couldn't believe it. For him, nothing came close to the rattling sound of the coins in his money bag. But I pray for us nothing will come close to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, tonight, there is no one like Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And him, in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, first Balnehenge, and you, Balnehenge Methodist, and you, Grace Fellowship, and you, BBC, and you, Eden Grove, and you, on the fence, not sure. Well, tonight be sure. Because you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you Church of Christ in Balnehinch in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him.